0: This is the OTP presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Look to the folks at Farm Bureau Health Plans when you need someone who knows the health care coverage game plan. They've been protecting Tennesseans for 75 years. Today, the OTP remains on the road. We welcome the OTP people to Western Kentucky University. And the beautiful Harbaugh Club, Mike Keith, Amy Wells, Coach Dave McGinnis. And we welcome Todd Stewart, Western Kentucky's Director of Athletics, finishing his 10th year. Coach Mack, what about that? Give me some there, He's been the AD here for 10 years.
1: that's That's a plus. Anytime you can make it double digits in the football world or in the athletic world, God bless you.
2: It means you can fool a lot of people, I guess, right? Well,
1: this is starting my 36th year in the NFL, so I fooled everybody for three decades. So you're good.
0: Todd, it is so great to have you here, but we have to ask, you know, we're the Titans, and you have us in the Harbaugh Club. (gasps) Yes. Now, this is related to the Harbaugh of the Baltimore Ravens, but it's not that
2: Harbaugh, right? Correct. It's his father.
0: Okay, well, that's – and won the national championship here.
2: Well, he actually deserves enormous credit for us even being here in in the form that we're here today. He was our head coach from 1989 to 2002, and the program early in his tenure went through significant budget cuts. In fact, there was a time when it was leaning towards being canceled, and he agreed to sustain the program with major budget cuts and so led it through some very, very challenging times – and obviously got it going again. And then the final year that he coached was the 2002 season when we won the 1AA National Championship, which is now referred to as the football championship subdivision, the FCS subdivision. But his last year was a national championship year, which is the only team national championship in Western Kentucky history.
1: Yeah, well, the the Harbaugh family, I'm very well acquainted with, very close to. I was with the Bears and Mike Dicker when we drafted Jim. I had John up when he was still coaching in college, do a lot of our, our clinics. And so I know Jack very, very well. and the, It's a football family, and you're right. He was very, very successful here, and this is nice. If he was responsible for some of this, then this is really nice. But I know the Harbaugh family very well.
2: Well, it's ironic. I mean, long story short, but just to give you an example of how lean it was then, I was actually with the Indianapolis Colts when Jim Harbaugh was our quarterback. He joined the Colts after he was with the Bears. Yes, he did. And, and got to know Jim really well. And I remember, this is a true story, Jim would go through the Colts locker room and had cardboard boxes and would ask our players to put anything that they didn't need in the box, whether it was receiver's gloves, shoes, practice helmets, shoulder pads, jerseys, really any item of apparel that they had that they didn't need to put in those cardboard boxes, and he would mail them down here. I mean, that's really how lean the program was. In the early to mid '90s here, and I never knew that I would ever be here. But you know, to now be here as the athletic director and see how far it's come is great to see because I know, you know, it was really in a tough stretch there for a while. Didn't Jim come down here to coach with his
1: dad for a little while? He, didn't he? Didn't he do that while he was still playing? He, I think. he did. Yeah, he,
2: he passed the NCAA test so that he right. could recruit. And then he became one of the assistants during the offseason and recruited on behalf of his father. Yeah,
0: there you go. And you worked for John Harbaugh with the Ravens, didn't you, Amy? I
3: did work for John Harbaugh with the Ravens. So we've all got a Ravens connection here and also spent some time with the Colts. So and there I've, you go.
0: And I've lost to him a bunch. So, uh, <laughs> so And beaten him some, too. And beaten him yeah. some, too. How many young people go to Western Kentucky these days? This school has continued to just blow up.
2: Well it's really grown it depends on how you measure it you know if you count everybody who takes a class in any form and online classes are obviously popular everywhere now uh, it's well over twenty thousand. Wow! Here in in campus, you know, we have six thousand students that live in the dormitories on campus, and then another six to seven thousand that live in apartments just off campus. So we really have about thirteen thousand full time students here in Bowling Green on a daily basis.
0: And there's still very much of a Tennessee, Middle Tennessee presence here. You have strong tentacles into Middle Tennessee.
2: We do. I mean, the two largest alumni bases that we have are Nashville and Louisville. So we have a heavy population in Nashville. We have a lot of students from from Nashville, Rutherford County, that come to Western Kentucky, and that seems to grow by the year also. Wow.
3: Now, we have to run this back a little bit because there's also a connection between the two of you. Mike Keith and Todd worked together, correct? Todd, you were a graduate assistant. You, Mike, was were a student. A student. Yeah. So what can you tell us about Mike <laughs> this is what I want I want to hear all the best stories this is a safe space
2: no this is this is a true story it's a good story you know I wish I could make some news here and make fun of him or something like that but this is the honest truth I mean he was with the vol network and I was a graduate assistant at Tennessee and I remember it was very early on when I was there and we were at practice together at football practice together and this would have been the 1989 football season and I remember he asked me a couple questions about a couple players that I I must say, I'd only been down there for a month, and I didn't have any idea who they were. You know, you have over 100 players. What impressed me about Mike, I'm not just saying this, what impressed me about Mike was he knew the whole roster. He knew every player. He knew every number of every player, whether they were going to redshirt, whether they were going to start. I'm not talking about the guys that were all conference type guys. They were everybody. And so I'm standing there next to Mike, and I'm like, I've got to do my homework. I have if I'm going to be working on behalf of the athletic department and working with the media at our practices, I better know everybody on this roster like Mike does. So he sort of set the tone there early on for me.
1: Well, I think Amy can tell you this with Titans radio, that hadn't changed.
3: Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. he's been like this forever, it sounds that's like. what
1: happens when you have no social life. <laughs> well,
3: that's okay, Mike. It sounds like you had a friend.
0: I have a Todd, was you had great. <laughs> and, and I wasn't surprised that Todd went on and did well. He mentioned that he left Tennessee when he finished his master's. And went to the Colts. And you were there for nine years, I think. Yes. And so right before he leaves, Todd ruined one of my days. Why? (laughs) Well, we had a situation that came up in the Jackson, Tennessee area where they had had tornadoes. And it was a really unusual situation because I think they'd happened in like the winter. They had happened in the winter. And usually you don't have tornadoes Mm -hmm. in the winter. And so we had just switched from the Oilers to the Titans. And we had not played a game as the Titans yet. So we're thinking, what can we do to help Jackson, Tennessee in a big hurry? So what we did is we took every coat that had oilers on it because people had lost everything down there. Man, it's winter. You need a coat. Sure. Yeah. So we piled coats into the back of my sedan to where I couldn't see out of the back windows. And I drove the coats down to Jackson and the people there were very appreciative Next day, Todd Stewart shows up with Peyton Manning and they hand him a check. <laughs> <laughs> so who got cool all the publicity? Cool Todd. Coats nerd. Yeah, Oh, Here's what they said. They're there with the big check, <laughs> presenting the big check. And I'm looking at them, and saying, there's Peyton Manning, who I know. And there's Todd Stewart, who I really know. How about this? This is great. I've driven the coats down there, dropped the coats off, turned around, come back, you know, trying to be a lot of help. And he's there in all the pictures, and at the press conference they go, oh, and by the way, thanks to the Oilers for the coats. <laughs>
1: Todd. <laughs>
0: thanks, Todd. Solid move, Todd. Thanks,
2: Todd. Yeah, that was actually, that came together really quick. Jim Merce was the owner of the Colts then. And it was one of the neat things I got to be a part of. I flew down on his plane. It was just me. The only time in my you entire You weren't driving
0: life, down in a sedan? N- no, <laughs> no. The, the only time in my life I'll ever coves. be on
2: a private plane by myself <laughs> and, and flew from Indianapolis to Chattanooga. And actually we picked Peyton up in Chattanooga because his now wife actually was in Chattanooga. Right. And so we flew to Chattanooga and picked Peyton up in Chattanooga. And then we he and I flew on to Jackson and really spent the day there and delivered things. And he was phenomenal. I mean, we went to the hospitals where... There were some children there that were injured. Some of them had actually lost their parents. Right. And, and he went in and, and didn't just do the, the photo op. I mean, went in there and, and visited with them. And, you know, it was it was just neat to be a fly on the wall, really, and, and that and just seeing how he interacted with those families. But hopefully, I know with what you all did and what we did that, you know, I think we made a diff- we all helped. difference too as well. To well, and, well. That,
0: and that was what I said, you know, seriousness to the people back in our office. I said, hey, for him to be what he was at that point, just coming off his rookie year, And the folk hero that he had become, I mean, basically like Davy Crockett, after coming back for his senior year and what he meant to people, not only the money, but drawing attention to that situation, which was so dire, was such a wonderful thing for you guys to do. And I know spending your, or spending his rookie year with him. That must have blown you away.
2: It was neat. I mean, it was really neat. It was my last year with the Colts, and it was his first year. So from a win-loss standpoint, I get the bad timing award because I leave Indianapolis to go to Cleveland, where we really didn't win a lot, and then the Colts really took off and won under Peyton. But because I had been at Tennessee and, and knew Bud Ford really well, who Peyton obviously trusted, uh, I was able to really handle most of Peyton's media obligations his rookie year with the Colts. And so we got to know each other really well. And he was an easy person to handle because he's he's like he is now. I mean, it was almost like he was a well-programmed CD. There'd be about 10 or 12 answers that he would give. And it really didn't matter what the question was. That <laughs> was going to be the answer that he would, but he was always on message. But he was also informative. I mean, he would give good answers. It wasn't just, you know, one sentence cliches, but... He was just so well-prepared as a rookie. I mean, he was more prepared than a lot of veterans are, just, I think, growing up with the Manning last name and, and just living life in the fishbowl. And then obviously, at Tennessee Tennessee had more daily media coverage than the Indianapolis Colts did. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, the Colts would have two or three beat writers at practice you know, when Peyton's rookie year, whereas Tennessee would have 12 to 15, probably. And so he was just enormously prepared when he got to the Colts, and certainly his career speaks for itself.
0: What was it like taking over the Browns as an expansion team when they came back into the NFL in 99?
2: Well, it was exhilarating on one hand because they went three years without an NFL team. So then when they got one, there was an unbelievable amount of excitement. It was the hardest time of my entire career because as you learn firsthand for everybody who went through that, when you're an expansion team, you start from scratch. You know, And even though the name stayed and the colors and the history and the tradition stayed. I mean, everything else was new. All the players were new. All the coaches were new. And so we were starting from scratch. And it was funny. The excitement was just incredible among our fans. And, and we wrote that. We didn't want to settle that down at all. But I just remember we beat the Dallas Cowboys that year in the Hall of Fame game. It was the first preseason game. But they did not play Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, or uh, Emmett Smith in the game. And we beat them. And I remember the next day, Uh, our fans, our switchboard lining up, people calling and wondering what would be the process for ordering playoff tickets. (laughs) And, you know, we knew there was no way this expansion team is going to the playoffs, but that's just kind of how separated perception and reality were at the time. And that continued all through the entire training camp in the preseason. There was just like this frenzy of a team, almost like coming off a Super Bowl championship. I mean, we literally had television production trucks from Youngstown and Erie and Toledo and Columbus coming every day to training camp and going live, just covering the team. Well, then we finally played a game. We played the Pittsburgh Steelers the first game of the regular season, lost 43 to nothing, and that sort of brought reality back to it. But it was a it was a crazy time early on, but it was a great thing to be a part of. I,
0: I will still say, though, and you remember this, Coach, because you played Detmer the first game, right? Yes, you know, at good, good memory. And the story was Chris Palmer was going to play him all year. All year, all year. Lose the first game and get hammered. And the next week, Tim Couch starts at Nashville. I will always wonder if you'd have been able to hold Tim Couch off for that whole year, what his career might have been like.
2: He was put in such a tough situation. Yeah, it's hard. It was because, I mean, it was an expansion team. He did not have the supporting cast. You know, working with Peyton Manning in 1998 and then working with Tim Couch in 1999, a lot of Cleveland media would say, hey, what's, what's the difference? And I'm like – there's an enormous difference. I mean, Peyton Manning's rookie year, he's handing off to Marshall Falk and he's throwing to Marvin Harrison. Tim didn't have anywhere near that kind of supporting cast. And I think he got sacked close to 60 times that year. And it was really, it was almost like Tiger Woods just finishing the Masters. I mean, Tim Couch finishing the 1999 season in and of itself spoke to, to his, his toughness because it would have been probably better for him uh, to not have played early on. And that was the plan. And then I think the first game got so out of hand that our head coach, Chris Palmer, just felt, why have him waste this year watching? Let's just get him in there and let him learn. I don't know. You could, you could argue both ways whether it was the right move or not, but certainly it threw him into the fire right from the start.
1: It had been better to keep Ty in there because he could handle it. He could handle it. Tim Couch, as you said, was really in an untenable situation then, and then it just went from not real good to really not good. You know, for quite a while and but that's a that's a choice that Chris made and so so he went yeah, with yeah. it. But I really firmly believe that Tim Couch's career would have probably gone on a better track had he been able to sit for a minute.
2: Well and you know, I mean he just he got physically beat up well, sure and he that did. affects your confidence and I think that affects your decision making and you know when when you're constantly only having two and three seconds to to throw, I think that speeds you up in a way that may not be good. And it just, it was a a very challenging year.
1: Well, here's another good example of it and then we'll we'll get on, but uh, I coached the Senior Bowl one year. I had the South team and Mike Holmgren had the North team and I had David Carr, you know, was my quarterback and of course the Texans were starting as a, an expansion team, and you know, and I, and I met with those guys, you know, for quite a while, asking me all about him. I said he's really good, and and they took him and started him, and hit the same thing happened to him, and probably derailed his career because the sixty sack number was right about where he was too. You got to let these guys have a chance to soak a little bit because this is a hard league. Let's talk about speaking of football, what kind of success you guys
0: have had in football here nice. since you've been the AD. Coach Mack was talking on the way up about all your current NFL players and you're going to put some more into the draft this year. Bailey Zappi is one at quarterback. D'Angelo Malone, outside linebacker. I know there are others. While the success in football since you've been here? What do you sort of credit to that kind of success?
2: Our people, really. I know it sounds simple, but we've just been fortunate that we've had outstanding head coaches who have had a very good coaching staff around them who've recruited true student athletes who have been very focused on getting better as football players, but making good decisions off the field as well. And it's, it's been a nice run. I mean, we've been to a bowl game eight of the last 10 years. We've actually won it. We're not just about going to a bowl game. We're about winning the bowl game. We've won it five of those years, including last year blew out a very good App State team in the Boca Raton Bowl. And, you know, you referenced Bailey Zappi. Last year, it's incredible. You think about the history of college football, and that's, that's a lot of great teams and a lot of great players. In the history of college football, nobody's thrown for more touchdowns and yards in a single season than Bailey Zappi, our quarterback, did last year. He broke Joe Burrow's record by throwing 62 touchdown passes, and he also threw for 5,967 yards. And then we had a receiver, Jared Stearns, who had the third most receptions and the fifth most receiving yards in a single season. So made a little bit of history last year and and won a lot of games in the process, and that was a lot of fun.
1: You know, as I was with the Rams, we drafted Tyler Higby. You know, I was there and of course he's still there playing for the Rams. I just made a list of some of your guys that are current in the league. Dion Yeller, the tight end at the Cardinals, Devon Key, the free safety at the Chiefs, you know, who's done a nice job. Of course, I mentioned Tyler. Jordan Meredith, the guard from the Raiders. I mean, he's he's still active. Forrest Lamp, another good guard from the Saints. George Flair. George Mm -hmm. George Fant is there, the, the offensive tackle with the Jets. Mike White, the quarterback, backup quarterback. Just signed a new deal. Just signed a new deal at the Jets. Josie Igbenani, the linebacker from the Seahawks, got drafted by the Bears. And then now he just went with the Seahawks. So you guys are putting some players in the league.
2: Well, I appreciate you pointing that out, Coach Mack. And I think I was talking to Mike earlier. You know, I I do think what we're proud of is is we really feel like we're nationally relevant with our football program because of the fact that we are going to bowl games. We're winning bowl games. We have players that are drafted. We have players that are making NFL teams. You know, we've been on television a lot and and nothing shines a brighter light on a university than an athletics program sure. does. And so the success of our football program, I think, is it's obviously it's been great for football. It's been great for WKU athletics. But I think it shined a light on our university and brought attention to Western Kentucky University in a way that really nothing else on this campus can.
0: Thirty five conference championships in a variety of sports since 2014. Uh, that's the most in Conference USA during that period of time. Winning is a great marketing tool.
2: Oh, it is. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it it truly is. I mean, it validates I think that you have the right people and you're doing the right thing and you know what's nice about the 35 championships like you said, Mike, it is the most in conference USA since the time we've been in it, but it's been won by 12 different sport programs. Sure. So it's an it's an across the board success that a lot of people played a role in and you know there's always challenges in in sports. I mean, every day we all have challenges, but we we always say we'd rather have the challenges that come with winning than the challenges that come with losing. So Hopefully we can keep that going.
3: I like that.
2: Really
0: proud of you, Todd Stewart. Known you for over uh, thirty years. Yes, it's sir. it's hard to believe. But uh My guy. you <laughs> have uh you have done well here. This is a great place. It really is. And I, really cool. I'm gonna tell you, Bowling Green and just this whole general vicinity in western Kentucky has been so good to the Tennessee Titans since the start. This may not be in the same state technically, but this is Titans country, yep. and we're very yes. appreciative.
2: Well, Vice versa. We have a lot of fans and a lot of season ticket holders that are huge fans of the Titans and huge season ticket holders. And so there's a lot of people that spend their weekend. They come here on Saturday, then they go to Nashville on Sunday. Or obviously, if you're on the road, they watch the game on Sunday. But there's there's a lot of cross-pollination there, and that's that's great for us. Anytime we can be associated with the Tennessee Titans, that's a good thing.
0: Maybe, just maybe, a couple more Hilltoppers on the roster.
2: Hopefully so. That, God, that would be great. Todd, we're going to let
0: you go visit. I guess you could visit with Big Red. Big Red is actually here. I cannot believe yeah. that. I'm so excited. In the
1: house. I am In too. The house. Todd, you can visit with Big Red and T-Rack. That would be... There that would be...
2: That's, that would, that's a photo right there. That
0: is yes. a photo. <laughs> that's a photo
2: right there.
1: The athletic director here
0: at Western Kentucky, Todd Stewart, thanks for hosting us.
2: We yes. appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Great right. being with you all.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Todd. All right. So Todd Stewart is going to depart, and we're going to... Do a quick review of the OTP from Martin's barbecue, which was stop number two. Thanks, Doc. I guess point one is we ate rather well.
3: Oh my gosh. I ate and ate and ate and ate and ate. It and then I home. took some home there you and go. I ate some more at home.
0: <laughs> we highly recommend Martin's barbecue. We reviewed the nineteen wide receivers and twelve tight ends from the coach Mac one fifty. Rhett guesses that eight wide receivers go in the first round in two weeks. Coach Mack sees six. Arkansas's Traylon Burks is a favorite of our entire group. True. Yes. Yes. Coach Mack believes Western Michigan's Sky Moore could make an immediate impact on his team. There's a lot of love for Tennessee's Valus Jones, especially if he is available in day three. Moving to tight ends, both Red and Coach Mack feel Colorado State's Trey McBride is the top tight end on the board. But Greg Dulcich from UCLA is not far behind. San Diego State's Daniel Bellinger is another really well-liked tight end prospect, especially for his blocking. Coach Mack is interested to see Coastal Carolina's Isaiah Likely and what he can be as a receiver in the NFL. Coach Mack also interested to see 6'7 Virginia product, Jelaney Woods. The group agrees that if you want to wait until day three to take a tight end, you will still get a good one that can help. Quick review did I hit everything?
3: Yeah, the only thing that you left out was Coach Mac comparing all of the receivers in the draft to different types of barbecue. I really enjoyed that analogy. It worked. Though, and I didn't think it? we should use it more often. Yes. It worked. Well yeah.
0: there's there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. No. <laughs> all right, so we're not. we're going to move on to offensive tackles in the, in the Coach Mac 150. He's got 16 on the list. Yes. Amy, do you want to share them?
3: Let me run through this list. Do
0: for you me. have all 16?
3: <laughs> Potentially. All right, I good. think so. I tried to get all 16 this time. Good. So we're going to start with Evan Neal from Alabama. He is on this list. Iki Ikwanu is on the list. Charles Cross, Trevor Penning, Tyler Smith, Daniel Fala Alele. Fala Lele. See, I got pretty close that time. Sayer Munford from Ohio State is on this list. Bernard Ryman, Nicholas Petit Frier. Close enough. Yeah. Close enough. Yeah, it's French. I'm not French. Luke Gedicky, 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 Darian Kennard, Max Mitchell, Abraham Lucas, Matt Wallesko, <laughs> Rashid Walker, and Caleb Jones. Coach Mac, there's a top four there.
1: Yes, there are. Amy Wells, you did a nice job. Well,
3: thank you. I appreciate Re- your support. Off. Yeah. <laughs> Neil Aquanu, Cross, and Penning are all of those guys gone in the top twenty? Yes. Really?
1: Yes. Definitely. I mean, th- this draft is a flip completely from what last year's was. Last year's it was quarterback heavy at the top, and then you started working through your tackles and your edge rushers. This draft will be edge rushers and offensive tackles, and then you'll start working down through your quarterbacks. Those four that you mentioned, Iquano from NC State, Neil from Alabama, Charles Cross from Mississippi State, and then Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa, they've all got the requisite skills, I think, to play left tackle in the National Football League. And so those guys will be gone pretty quick. And to me, this is a a pretty good group even down through it. Uh, And I know that Mike's going to ask me about some of these other guys. But even as you start getting working through these guys, you're still going to be able to get some guys in the middle or the belly of the draft, you know, which is the third round through the fifth round that can
3: help you. Well, forget Mike, I want to talk about that. <laughs> okay, good.
1: Go ahead, Amy. You, you you and I have got our own podcast too, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
3: I'm just the, I'm in the groove. Now. It's the Titans
1: Amy Coach Mac podcast, by the way. Go ahead and subscribe to that. We've got a million listeners right now. You can be a million in about forty or fifty. That's great. Yeah, let's let's go ahead go, Amy.
3: So who else do you think from this list could be first round worthy?
1: Well, Tyler Smith's right on the cusp. Okay. He is right on the cusp from Tulsa. And and again, you start talking about first round, and I know we're just talking one position, but when you start adding all the other positions into the rounds, then all of a sudden players, when you're towards the bottom of the round, which the Titans are because they're a good football team. The National Football League, if you're a good football team, you're going to draft late in the draft. That's just the way it works. It works in inverse order. If you're a really bad football team, you're drafting early. So these guys that are going to be gone early, we will still have, and Tyler Smith to me is a guy that's kind of sitting there that has kind of helped himself in this post-season process and pre-draft process.
3: Who do you feel on this list is a true left tackle? Are there a couple of them on I there? I think
1: I think all four of those guys that you mentioned early. Okay, who Neal. Cross and Trevor Penny, they're different types of tackles. They are different types of tackles. They've all got different skill sets, but they are different types of tackles. But I think they've all got the capability to be able to play the left side. And let me just say this about left and right side. The delineation between those two has, has really closed the gap. Because you've got so much 11 personnel. Let's talk a little ball here, y'all. It's one tight end, three wides. And a lot of your rushers now are coming from the offensive right side because of where you're playing one tight end. And so the gap between just delineating between left and right tackle, it's still there, but it's not as wide a gap as it used to be.
3: So what skill set do you have to have to play on the left side as opposed to playing on... Feet, okay,
1: feet. Because the better rusher that you're against, the better feet that you need to be able to counteract the quick moves, the sudden moves, and also the counter moves back inside. The right side has most teams are right-handed running the football. The right side, especially now with outside zones you need your power tackle over there that can move somebody off the edge you know but still they're going to face really good rushers and and defenses now I coach defense in this league for 30 plus years you like to match up people and if you've got somebody that can flip from the other side and put over there on maybe not as good a pass protector on passing downs every down in the national football league now it's become a passing down right just because of the way the game is going so as i said that gap is closing a little bit.
3: How many guys on this list do you think may have had some experience playing the tackle position, but might actually be better suited to be guards? Now, I
1: think all these guys we've talked about right now are tackles. Okay. Now, depending on what team they go to, but when you when you look at a player like, let's talk about the top two, Equanu and Evan Neal. Those guys could move into a guard their rookie year and perform very, very well. They're probably going to be drafted to a place that needs tackles, Charles Cross is a leaner guy. He will be outside on the edge, you know, to begin with. I think all of these guys are true tackles, the top ones that we've just talked about.
3: Is there a day three offensive tackle who you think has the most upside?
1: So you talk about day three. Let's talk about what we're talking about.
3: We're talking about day three. What, do you mean? Know, what are you well, talking about? Well,
1: no, just stop a minute. Amy. <laughs> you, you and I. You, this is how you and I get along all, all the time. Day three. We're talking about practice. Yeah, we're, we're talking, talking about, about practice. practice. Uh-huh. Day three means the fourth round. Okay, day three is the fourth round because day one's first, the first round. round. Second day is two and three. We're talking about day three, fourth round. Okay, okay here we go. All right. All right, I'm going to let, let's go with this. Two of the guys that you just talked about, Nicholas Petit Frere from Ohio State and then Rashid Walker from Penn State, those two guys, okay, are, are, are sitting there. Those are kind of the guys next in line. And I think those are possibly. Bottom of the third, top of the fourth round names that you, I think, will see then. All
3: right, let's move on to guards. Mike, you read this list. Oh, I botched okay. the Wh- first whatever one. Whatever you say. Well, so you I'm did. throwing you into the second okay. one.
0: So the, <laughs> the guards on the Coach Mac 150, he's got 11 guards on the list. Kenyon Green, Texas A&M, Zion Johnson, Boston College, Cole Strange, Chattanooga, Jamari Salyer, Georgia, Ed Ingram, LSU, Dylan Parham, Memphis, Chase and Hines, LSU, Justin Schaefer, Georgia. Marquise Hayes, Oklahoma. Josh Rivas, Kansas State. Xavier Newman, Johnson, Baylor. Mike, you did that really well. Thanks, Coach. you did a really good Who's job. Who's plug and play? Who's somebody you take on April 28th,
1: April 29th, and May 1st? They're a starter. Zion Johnson. Okay. And then the Texas A&M player. Those, those are your two right there. That, that right now, plug and play, let's go put them in there at guard, you're good, just sit them in there and let's go play.
3: So like the tight end situation, is this another group of guys that you can maybe wait until later in the draft, say day three, the fourth round, to <laughs> pick some guys? Because there's a lot of depth on this No, list. and, and it,
1: it's a relevant question, and you ask it very, very well. I'll tell you, a guy that I really like Ed Ingram from LSU. Mm-hmm. Ed Ingram from LSU is a guy that I really like sitting there on that third day. I mean, I, I like what he does. Justin Shaver from Georgia is another guy, probably – a fourth round player, depends on what you've got, what you're looking at. And what happens with a draft uh, to a draft board, so that everybody understands, you're not just picking off of one side vertically, you're picking vertically and horizontally across the board, comparing it now to the strengths and weaknesses of other players in the commensurate part across the draft. Anytime you're about 15 minutes out from your pick, what you do is get a bullpen together of players from all different positions and put them up on the board. And so some of these names I'm naming now will probably be there that will be in the bullpen for somebody. What about guys on the guard
0: list who can potentially snap and who could move to center? Anybody jump out to you on that list? Well,
1: first of all, you were down at the senior bowl. Right. And they used they used Zion Johnson down there. That's all he did. That's all he did down there. And he had not done that. Could he do that? Absolutely. He could do that. And you know what
0: else he told me about? Not to interrupt. But he no, told, no, but not he, interrupt. he told me, he said, I really like that because he said, I'm running the show. And he said, as an offensive lineman, he said, it's a nice feeling. Ben Jones talks about this. Yeah, And in talking with Ryan Tannehill about Ben Jones, it's one of his favorite things about his center and is one of the reasons he's so glad Ben Jones is back, is if you've got a guy who can really run the show up front, it makes the job easy for everybody. Zion Johnson has the right personality and the right brain and the right talent to potentially be able to do it. Cole Strange at Chattanooga did it at the Senior Bowl, too. And, and he struggled some. And Zion Johnson struggled some. But what I liked about him, coaches, they wanted to do it. They weren't afraid to fail.
1: Yeah, and, and to me, you bring up a great point. And, you know, for our listeners, the OTP and for this, for this crowd here, your center is your second quarterback. On the offense because the most important thing is identifying fronts identifying protections and once the plays are checked with me at the line of scrimmage the quarterback and the center are both responsible for those sometimes the center is only responsible for the check with me's at the line of scrimmage. So those guys have to be on top of their game mentally, and they have to want to do it. That's a task that you have to want to put on your shoulders to do. Cole Strange is a guy I think could move in there. I think Parham could move in there too. That's Rhett
0: Bryan's favorite guy. He loves Dylan Parham. Parham I'm sorry, for a lot of reasons, I'm sorry the ever-reliable Rhett Bryan is not here with us at Western Kentucky today for the OTP, but One of the reasons is he didn't get to talk about Dylan Parham, who he he thinks is a super, super value for somebody in the mid-round.
1: Well, and the reason he thinks that is because the guy can play both. And when you're only suiting up seven offensive linemen, mostly on your active roster on Sundays, you're going to have to have some people that can swing. You need a swing tackle, and you certainly need somebody that can swing on that center guard triangle.
0: All right, let's talk centers on the Coach Mack 150. You've got four on the list. Tyler Linderbaum, Iowa, Luke Fortner, Kentucky, Alec Lindstrom, Boston College, Cam Jurgens, Nebraska. There are a lot of people who think
1: Linderbaum goes in the first round. Do you agree, Cam? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Linderbaum reminds me right now, and again, I've seen a few centers in my time in this league. He reminds me of a center we had at the great Bears teams I was on, uh, Jay Hilgenberg. Another Iowa center. It was a great center, wrestling background, and then a lot, a lot, like uh, Amy's center at the Colts. Jeff Jeff
0: Saturday? Saturday. Yes.
3: Was he he
1: really your center
3: at the Colts? No, he was before me, and also I wasn't a quarterback, so he wasn't my center per se. All
0: right, I want to talk about Linderbaum again (laughs) for a second, though, because he's he's like 6'2",
1: 290. He's not the biggest guy in the world. And that's fine. You don't care? For being, for being a center, that's fine. Because but he can't
0: play guard, you think? I don't
1: think so. Okay. I, I don't think he's a guard. You don't want to put him in there over those, you know, those big hogs that are down there in the middle. But what he can do, is especially if, if somebody's going to run a zone offense where the center has to make combination blocks and then work up to the second level, he can do that all day. And plus, he can make all of the calls. I like the player. So if the Titans had not
0: re-signed Ben Jones could you have seen them taking Linderbaum in the first round at 26 and just plugging him in as the starter? Yes. I okay. don't think
1: he'd ever make it down there, but yes, I do. Yes, oh. I do. Okay, yes. so the that's the type
0: yes. of situation yes, you're talking about. absolutely. I think, right. I think this guy is a bring him in, and he's playing immediately. All right, so the backward question from the one about the guard snapping is do you think Fortner, Lindstrom,
1: or Jurgen's? can play guard if needed. I think Juergens might be the one that possibly could, but all of these guys are pretty much set as centers, and I think that's pretty unusual. Now, here's the thing. If they go to a team that they're not the starter, then they're probably going to have to learn to swing a little bit until they're the main guy, okay? Juergens, you know, I just got through all of my write-ups on him. He had a really nice combine. You know, he's kind of moving himself up into this process, but I think there are enough guards in this draft right now but again it goes to the point that i made about the active roster when you finally get your active roster pulled down to what it's going to be during the season and then who's going to be up on sunday somebody especially a younger one coming in is gonna have to be able to swing
0: all right so let's review as we've talked about the offensive line offensive tackle you think four go in the first 20 maybe even in the first 15 let's go 20 okay first 20 And you you feel like if the Titans want to take one at 26, they probably can. But they could wait until day two the same way at the guard or center position because they have the two fours, they have the five, they have the two sixes. They could get quality linemen on day three. Absolutely, yes. The answer is
1: yes, yes, and
0: yes. Good recap. Thank you. Amy Wells, anything you'd like to say?
3: I'm just excited. I'm excited to be here at Western Kentucky. I'm excited to be talking about offensive linemen in the draft. I'm just – I'm fired up.
1: It's a first-class setup right here. It's oh, a great this is setup. Great. I mean, I really like There's this. Big Red. There's big Red. big Red.
0: Big Red, where is T-Rack? There's T-Rack. We, I, T-Rack, T-Rack, come up here. I have to get a picture.
1: Come on When up I here. think yeah. about mascots in college sports – T-Rack, Big Red, yeah. get back big here behind Red's us. one of the Get big, back here behind us, Big Red. T-Rack, well, T-Rack. come on. T-Rack, let's go, okay, man. Okay. Th- how about this? Oh, I love He's going to take
0: pictures while we're live we're doing still audio. No, 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 no. Yes. I know we're still we're talking. Still this so is fine. here. Get, get this back is okay. Wait, it's minute. not bothering Just me. He's going to take a go, photo. Go here. ahead.
1: They can't yes. talk. Go ahead. All right. Here we go.
3: <laughs> this is mildly ridiculous. Yes.
1: Because the people
0: who are listening to the <laughs> no, OTP. I'm them, here they I are. Have no well, idea. We, thanks, guys. When we play this. They won't be able to see it because it's not a video podcast. This isn't on TV? No, no, it's really not. But that's
3: Mac doesn't care that this is not a visual medium. (laughs) We were just
0: doing Coach Mac stuff.
3: (laughs) We were just doing Coach Mac stuff. That's what we do here on the OTP when we are on the road. That's
0: good stuff. Okay, the OTP is presented by our great friends at Farm Bureau Health Plans. Better rates, better coverage, and better service. That's why Tennesseans have been relying on Farm Bureau health plans for their health care coverage for 75 years. Next up, we go to Tennessee Tech. Yes, I'm excited looking forward to that. go to Cookville. Our old friend Larry Stone Larry is going to be with will us.
1: Larry Stone will be there. Randy Wilmore.
0: Randy Wilmore, from Bureau Health Plans. He played at Tennessee Tech. He played Tech. at Tennessee Tech.
1: His family will be there. I mean, well, they, they've got big to live
0: up to after how nice Western's made it. For it's going to be hard
1: to beat this setup right here. It truly, is. Yeah. it's going to be really hard to beat this. What setup. are we going to talk about from the Coach Mack 150 tomorrow? Let's go edge rushers in the big lineman defensive Ooh. front. Oh, that'll be fun. I Let's like, do that. I like the
0: edge rushers. Yes. Let's do that. Titans could take an edge rusher at 26. And there's plenty there. There'll be a really good one there. There's plenty there. Yeah. You're right. A lot to talk about. For Coach Mack, for the athletic director here at Western Kentucky, Todd Stewart, and for Amy Wells, for Big Red and T-Rack and the OT people, this is the OTP. <laughs>